So in this final week of this Jesus Speak series, we come to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and we come to one of my very favorite uh, stories in the Bible. It's the account of Jesus' reinstatement of Peter that's found in verses 15 through 22 of John 21. So we're going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 25, but then we're going to focus almost exclusively on verses 15 uh, through 22. So I'll read, uh, you follow along as I do. Here's what we find. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now we're entering into the part that we're going to, uh, to focus on. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So let's review the context of what we've just read. 
One of the stories in this Gospel of John that we have not dealt with, that we did not deal with in this series, was the story of Peter's denial of Christ that's recorded in John chapter 18. And during Jesus' trial and mistreatment at the hand of the religious leaders, Peter waited outside of the high priest's courtyard while these events were going on, and there were other people around him. And some of the folks who were uh, kind of in the same space that Peter was in, they identified him as one of Christ's followers. And Peter was kind of concerned. He was fearful of the consequences of being identified with Jesus in that exact moment. And so he denied, not once, but three times he denied being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Friends, we should not underestimate what a big deal it is to be a follower of Jesus and deny that you're a follower of his. Uh, In another gospel, Peter is recorded as denying that he even knew Jesus. And in one of the accounts, he's uh, recorded as denying it through cursing. Like, Like he's so upset and trying to be so persuasive that he curses that he does not know Jesus. This is a major failure on the part of Peter. This was a sin of the first order. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus warned that those who deny him before men, he would deny before his father. And so Peter's denial should not be dismissed as a little mistake or not that big a deal or kind of like one of the little sins or any of that kind of stuff. This was a big deal. And then from Peter's denial, we We know what has happened in the story. We've gone through the crucifixion of Jesus. We have uh, gone through the resurrection of Jesus. And now we come to John 21, which starts out with Jesus' third post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. There was the post-resurrection appearance on the evening of the resurrection. There was the one a week later uh, where Jesus dealt with the doubts that Thomas had, which we uh, addressed last week. And now here in chapter 1, Jesus appears again to his disciples as they are fishing. He tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And if they do that, they'll catch fish. They do. They catch them. And then he invites them to eat breakfast with him. And, uh, and upon finishing eating, Jesus addressed Peter. And he reinstates Peter publicly in verses 15 through 22. Have you ever allowed yourself to imagine what Peter might have been feeling during these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus? You know, we have to speculate. We we were not told exactly how he was feeling, but I I think there are some good guesses that we can make. I'm guessing that he might have been feeling a little bit sheepish about the thing. Uh, I'm guessing that he might have been feeling a little bit awkward I'm guessing that he might have been having a little bit of trouble. I mean, on the one hand, he's excited that Jesus has risen. He's overjoyed along with the rest of them and in this reality that Jesus is now alive. But I'm guessing that his denial of Christ was probably at the forefront of his thinking each time that Jesus made an appearance. I'm guessing that for Peter, it was probably a, a bit like the uh, proverbial elephant in the room. 
Uh, you know, that thing that's just hard to avoid, that thing that demands attention, but you're not sure how to give it the attention that it deserves. I can't say with certainty, but I kind of wonder if Peter jumping into the water and heading to the shore as soon as Jesus spoke and John said it's the Lord, was perhaps Peter trying to in some way just move on, you know, start to act like everything's normal. You know, one of those actions you take when things are awkward and you're just not sure uh, what to do. And then Jesus tells them to bring the fish that they've caught to shore and Peter quickly climbs back on the boat and drags the nets to shore. Again, I'm not certain of the dynamics here, but it makes sense to me that Peter would be feeling awkward, trying to find some way to move forward, trying to figure out how he could move forward in light of his significant failure of loyalty. In verse 15, after they finished eating, Jesus decided that it was time to personally and directly address Peter. And so he enters into a dialogue with Peter, this dialogue that we read just a couple of minutes ago. And in this dialogue, Jesus publicly reinstates Peter and establishes him as a leader in the church that will be born in a little while on the day of Pentecost. And in this dialogue, Jesus asked Peter two questions. And then he makes two statements that I believe have questions implied within them. And so in these verses that we read, this dialogue that we read, I see four questions that Jesus asked Peter. Now, there are a few aspects of his interaction with Peter that are very specific and unique to Peter. And I will make note of those as we go along. But other than these few things that are very specific to Peter, I think that the four questions that Jesus asked Peter in these verses are four questions that he asked everyone who is going to follow him. And so I want us to look at these four questions. I've titled today's message, Jesus Questions Peter and Us. And the first one is found in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some debate about what he means in referencing more than these. And uh, my best guess at what it means is, do you love me more than you love these friends of yours, these other disciples, these men that you are close to? But the basic question here is a simple one. Do you love me? And Jesus doesn't ask Peter this just once. He asks him three times. We read 15. Now in 16, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And then verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The question is asked three times. I want you to remember that Peter denied Christ three times. And so now Christ asked three times, do you love me? I think we can all agree that Peter's actions did not seem to indicate love. Denying Jesus, denying that he was his follower, denying that he even knew him, these are hardly actions that demonstrate love. And yet, each time Jesus asked the question, Peter answered in the affirmative. Verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 16, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then verse 17, he changes it a little bit. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Three times he's asked, and three times Peter affirms that he loves Jesus. And the answer to this question is a very important answer. Because loving God is the first and the greatest commandment. It's the first and it is the greatest. We're told that the third time Jesus asked Peter this, that Peter was hurt. And so he did something very interesting. He appealed to Jesus' omniscience. Previously he said, you know that I love you, but this third time he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. He appeals to his omniscience. Jesus knows Peter's heart. And so he knows that Peter really is telling the truth and really does love him. His actions had not demonstrated love, but he really does love Jesus. He was just weak. He was just weak. Listen, friends, sometimes our failure to be faithful to God is simply because we are weak. It doesn't indicate that we don't love him. We really do love him. We're just weak. But there's something else that's true, and that is that sometimes unfaithfulness does reveal a lack of love in our hearts toward God. And it's important for us to evaluate ourselves and see where we are at in our love for God. And usually here is a clue that that, that we actually are lacking some love for God. It is when our unfaithfulness to God goes beyond a single event of unfaithfulness or or a, a few instances of unfaithfulness or a short period of time of unfaithfulness and moves into chronic, ongoing, consistent unfaithfulness to God. And so I would encourage you to evaluate uh, your love for God. Peter made this appeal because he knew he loved Jesus and he knew that Jesus knew it because Jesus knew his heart. And like Jesus asked Peter, he asked each of us here today, do you love me? And then God is asking every person in this room that question, do you love me? And what's your answer? Can you say like Peter, you know all things. You know that I love you. Can you say that or not? You shouldn't say it if it's not true. And here's why. Because he knows. No matter what comes out of our mouth, he knows if it is true or if it isn't. He isn't like the spouse who's being cheated on, but continues to tell the other spouse that they love them all the while making plans to leave the relationship. He's not like that. He can't be fooled like that. When we're unfaithful, but we say we love Jesus, he knows if we really do or not. He knows if we love him though we're unfaithful or if our unfaithfulness is actually revealing a lack of love for him. There's simply no fooling Jesus. So the question comes to us, do you love him? It's the first. It is the greatest commandment. 
And so it's a question that he asked every single person who is going to follow him. And then, verse 15, we find a question that's implied in the statement of Jesus. And actually, this shows up in a few different verses. He's asked Peter if he loves him. Peter has affirmed that he does. And so in response to that, Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus, when he asked the second time, and Peter affirmed the second time, Jesus said again, take care of my sheep. And then he asked Peter a third time, and Peter affirms a third time, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, there is a specific way that this is a very unique instruction to Peter. I mean, Peter was going to preach the first sermon of the church era on the day of Pentecost. He was going to become a leader, one of the key leaders of the early church. He was going to have a teaching, preaching, leading role as a shepherd of God's people in that early church. And so the implied question for Peter is, will you lead my people? Will you fulfill the role that I'm assigning to you? Will you take care of the people that are going to respond to the gospel and become part of this church that I'm beginning to build? And so we know from history, the history of Peter's life, that he said yes to this assignment. And he did as Christ called him. But I believe there is a question in this for all of us. A question that God asks every single person that's going to follow him. And the question is, will you take care of my people? There are a variety of ways that I think this question is asked. Will you value the people that respond to the gospel enough to be involved with them? Will you appreciate my body, the church, enough to be an active member of it? Will you value the church I'm building enough to enter into the life of it? Friends, Christianity is not a do-it-alone thing. Christianity is not a me and Jesus, that's all I need thing. When Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to his body, he calls us to his church, he gives us responsibility for each other, he gives us responsibility to care for each other, to support each other, to be involved with each other. If I say I love Jesus, if you say you love Jesus, and if we really do, he then says, take care of my sheep, be involved with my people, give yourself to the church that I am building. Saying yes to this question, responding to this assignment, I say gently to you, is more than showing up for an hour on Sunday. Now let me be very clear here, I am appreciative of everyone who worships here on Sunday. And I realize that there are some people in the room today who you are new to faith. Uh, Some of you are just investigating faith. Some of you are legitimately looking for a new church home. Some of you have been hurt by past church experiences, and so you are needing to take some time to decide where God is going to lead you next. Hear me uh, clearly that all of those things are good and right and appropriate, okay? If that's where you're at, I'm, I'm not really talking to you here uh, on this point. But I do want to say that, that, friends, it is not okay to forever attend a one-hour worship service 
but never enter into the life of the body. Never enter into the life of the church. That's not okay. That is a consumerist form of Christianity that Jesus and the Bible know absolutely nothing about. So depending on where you're at on your own journey, that might be appropriate for now, but it is not appropriate forever. At some point, if you're going to follow Jesus, he asks you to get involved with his people. And when he asks you that, the only appropriate answer is yes. Do you love me? Will you take care of my people? And then we find a third question also implied in a statement that Jesus makes. It's in verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And then verse 19 tells us, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, then he said to him, follow me. And we have to understand what Jesus has just told Peter here. He has told him, you are going to die, and it isn't going to be like in a warm bed, falling asleep and not waking up. That's not how it's going to be. You are going to die at the hands of another person And that death, in a way that you would never pick for yourself, is going to glorify me. Wow. That's tough. And Christian tradition tells us that Peter did die a martyr's death, which is exactly what Jesus was saying would happen when he said someone will lead you where you don't want to go. And tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. Do you love me? Will you take care of my people? And now a third question that's implied in the statement of Jesus, will you follow me wherever I lead you, even if my plan for your life includes martyrdom? Peter said, yes. What do you say? What do I say? You see, Jesus has an assignment for each and every one of us. And some of us have assignments or at least aspects of our assignments that we really like. They're really fun. They're kind of exciting. But then some of us get assignments or aspects of our assignments that we're not so excited about. And the reality is that most of the assignments that God gives most of us have both. Aspects that are really great and we enjoy, and then other aspects that we would rather do without. And yet, the assignment includes both things. I I hope you won't mind that I use myself to illustrate this today. I uh, questioned whether I could do this without coming off like I was just appealing for your sympathy, but I decided to risk it, so I'm going to, uh, to use myself as an illustration here today. God's assignment for my life has included much that I really enjoy. 
and that I get great fulfillment from. Though it's way more difficult than what most people understand, I consider it a privilege to be able to preach God's word uh, here in this church 40-some Sundays a year. Though it is pretty challenging work, most weeks I enjoy it and uh, find it very fulfilling. It's been fulfilling for me to watch this church grow and see the fruit of the labor that so many of us together have invested into this place. It's exciting for me to be able to be involved in initiatives like what we're doing in Perry County and trying to plant a new church uh, in New Lexington. And by the way, I'll tell you that we just had a really encouraging week there where uh, we, we uh, gave away like nine or 10 bags of groceries this uh, week and a week that we weren't even technically open to give away groceries. We still had that many people come in and we were able to bless them in that way. And we had three or four different uh, folks come in and uh, didn't need groceries, but wanted to inquire about the church and when it's getting started and all of those type things. And we had people come in just to commend us uh, of how impressed they are that we are serving the community even before we're asking the community uh, to come to public worship services. And so it was a really good week in New Lexington. And, and these kind of things excite me. And so there are aspects of what God has called me to do that I really enjoy. But there are aspects of my particular calling that aren't so enjoyable. You would not believe in the last 10 years how many unkind and hurtful things have been said to me. I'm a pretty conflict-adverse person, but I have had a lot of conflict forced on me in the past 10 years. Now, honestly, some of it might have been avoided with greater wisdom on my part. But a good deal of it has been stuff that wasn't a result of any wrongdoing on my part, but it was out of left field kind of stuff. Unfair, unkind, occasionally kind of nasty. It comes with the territory of God's calling for my life, and I'm not alone. I hear this from uh, all of my pastor uh, friends and colleagues. I'm evaluated and critiqued uh, and a whole lot of people that leave the church uh, seem to do so because there's something about me that they don't like. Now, I know that's hard for those of you here today to believe. <laughs> but, uh, but in a lot of cases, that's true. That will wear on you after a while. That'll wear on you after a while. But here's the deal. It is just part of what comes with my particular calling. And so Jesus asked me, Brian, will you follow me, even if it means being critiqued and criticized? Brian, will you follow me if it means being treated unfairly, sometimes being misrepresented? Will you still follow me? And my point today is not to get you to feel sympathetic for me, though if you do, I'll be happy to accept pats on the back, words of encouragement, gift cards, and envelopes full of cash at the conclusion of the service. But seriously, I have, uh, I have described this because, you know, this is my calling, but what I've described is true for all of our callings. I don't have, you know, a calling that's just like, you know, that much tougher than anybody else. It's true for all of us. We are all called by God to a specific role in his kingdom. 
And within our respective roles, there are always going to be aspects of that that we really enjoy. And then there are going to be aspects of that that are really hard. Are you willing to entrust your future to God wherever it leads and whatever it costs? You know, Peter got to do some pretty heady things. I mean, he preached the first sermon of the church age. He saw 3,000 people come to faith in Christ in a single day. That was part of his calling. But so was dying upside down on a Roman cross, killed for his faith, dying a martyr's death. And some of us here today know God is calling us to something, but it has a come and die component to it. And we don't feel so good about that. Maybe he's calling you to stay in a job you don't like. Maybe he's calling you to leave a job you do like. Maybe he's calling you to downsize your life, to move into a smaller home and take a lower paying job so you'll have more time for your family, more time to give in serving. Maybe he's calling you to stay in your job, even though somewhere in your heart you would like to be in a, in a vocational ministry role. Maybe he's calling you to stay in a, in a secular job because the role he has for you is being an ambassador for him in the business world or within the world of education or at your government job. There is always a sacrifice somewhere in the story when it comes to fulfilling God's call in our lives. For us, it usually is not as dramatic as it was for Peter. We're not being called, at least not yet, to actually die for Jesus. But there is always a take up your cross and die component to every call that we get from God. Jesus asked Peter if he was willing to trust him with his future, even if it meant dying a martyr's death. And Peter said, yes. What about you? What will you say? But before Peter said yes, he did protest. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? This, this might be my single favorite thing in the Bible. This is... <laughs> Really kind of funny when you think about it. Understand what is happening here. Peter has just been told he's going to die a martyr's death. Now, that would prompt a lot of questions in your mind. Like, there are just some things you'd think he would ask that he doesn't. Like, you'd think he might ask, Jesus, how is it going to happen? Okay, I understand we'll be led where I don't want to go, but how, is it, how am I going to die? Or he might say, how much time do I have? When is this going to happen? But those are not his primary concerns. His primary concern is, what about John? Does John get a die for you too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, John's going to die too. He wants to know if the same thing is going to happen to John. And Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, answers him this way. If I want him, John, to remain alive until I return, 
What is that to you? Wow. What is that to you? He's essentially saying how I choose to use John's life is none of your business. If I want you to glorify me by dying and John to glorify me by living for a really long time, it's none of your business, Peter. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And the next verse tells us that rumors spread among the brothers that John wouldn't die. But that's not what was said. Jesus only said uh, that how he would use John's life was not Peter's concern. Peter just needed to be willing to follow the path that God had laid out for him. So what really was Peter concerned about? It seems clear to me that what Peter was concerned about was fairness. If he had to die a martyr's death, he didn't want to be the only one. He thought it only fair that John would have to die a martyr's death as well. Have you noticed in life how much easier it is to deal with difficulty that you think everybody's dealing with? But if your difficulty is somehow unique, or or even if it's what everybody else is dealing with, but you feel like you have a lot more of it to deal with than everyone else, you notice it's a lot harder to, to, to face it and to deal with it when that's the case. And it's because we feel that we're not being dealt with fairly. And so here's the question that Jesus is essentially asking Peter. And it's a question that I think he asked every single one of us who are going to follow him. Will you follow me even if life seems unfair? Will you follow me even if life is unfair? Will you follow me if the path I have for you is one where you see little ministry fruitfulness? Will you follow me even if the path I have laid out for you is not financially lucrative? Will you follow me if the path I have laid out for you has a lot of difficulty? Will you follow me? Will you serve my people when it is not convenient? when it is emotionally costly? Will you faithfully serve in the ministry I've called you to for the long haul, even if it means you'll always be at church earlier than others and stay later than others? When you look at others and it seems their assignment is easier than yours, will you still follow? Whatever it is that seems unfair about how your life is going, Will you still follow me? And after Jesus asked, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That's not all he has to say. He follows it up with this command, you must follow me. And he's saying the same thing to each of us here today. Whatever has us objecting to what it's going to mean for us to follow Christ faithfully, to fulfill his will in our lives, he says to each of us here today, you must follow me. Four questions that Jesus asked every believer. Do you love me? Will you be involved with and take care of my people? 
Will you follow wherever I lead? And will you follow even if life seems unfair? What has been your answers to these questions? The truth of the matter is the only answer that Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, will accept to each of these questions is yes. We can't say, yes, Jesus, I love you. No, Jesus, I won't be involved with your people. He doesn't accept that. We can't say, yes, Jesus, I'll be involved with your people. I mean, I like socializing anyway. It really doesn't matter to me if it's your people or someone else's people. I like people. So yeah, I'll be involved with the people, but there are some places that you might ask me to follow that I'm just not going to be able to agree to. We can't say, yes, I love you, and yes, I'll follow wherever you lead, but only as long as I feel like I'm being dealt with fairly throughout my life. As soon as I think that things are unfair, I'm not going to be able to go along with that. I have too high a sense of justice for that, Jesus. I have to be dealt with fairly. There is only one acceptable answer to each of these questions, and it is yes, Has that been your answer? Maybe it has. Maybe it hasn't. But whatever your answer has been, God continues to ask us these questions. He he continues to give us a chance to answer differently, to, to change what the answer is. So he continues to ask. And he's asking each of us here today, whether you have said yes previously or whether you've said no previously, either way, God is giving you another chance today to answer these questions. Do you love me? Will you take care of my people? Will you follow where I lead? Will you follow when life seems unfair? What will your answer be? What is your answer? We know from Peter's life that yes was his answer to each of these questions. Peter is our model. I hope that we will follow his example. What is your answer? Let's stand.